Welcome to Hope Something Sticks. I'm Bert. I'm Matt. Today we've got a pretty special episode. Uh, we'll be going over the uh, coronavirus, uh, otherwise known as COVID-19, with uh, two physicians. Uh, we have uh, my wife, Dr. Sharon Candell. Hello. And my brother, Dr. Avi Candell. Hello. So Sharon uh, is a resident physiatrist, and my brother Avi is a uh, resident uh, pathologist. They're here today to learn me something. Yep. Hopefully, uh, you'll learn you something too. I don't know. I, I can't. I came with it. I read. I read up on this for like five minutes. Five whole minutes, though. Well, okay. You so, got five minutes and three months, just like everybody else. All right. So, kind of uh, diving into it. Uh, what have you guys had in your experience uh, with COVID nineteen so far? Both of you talk at exactly the same time. Go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Sharon? Uh, from my experience, actually, they've been at my residency working really hard to keep us away from it in the rehab department. Um, we've set it up so that, yes, eventually residents in my program will be involved. But first, they're looking at the internal medicine residents, then the family medicine residents, then the surgical residents, and then if they still need more residents available, then they will contact the rehab residents, not me, <laughs> um, first. Uh, so even though Arizona is doing pretty badly, we are not doing badly enough, but they need us. Meanwhile, no. at the rehab hospital, my attendings have been working very hard to avoid having the residents work with any of the coronavirus rehab patients. Right. Uh, I might change in the not-too-distant future. Yes, there's been talk about how to get us involved. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know you have a little bit more experience with COVID uh, being in New York. As you said, so I'm a you know pathologist or pathology resident, so I haven't been like dealing with you know live COVID patients. So pathologists generally, uh, with some exceptions, generally we don't see patients. Our main role is uh, like diagnose cancers by examining uh, tissue, both you know just, you know we say grossly just by looking at looking at it. And also we look at tissue microscopically to diagnose cancer and um, we're also involved in sort of like the laboratory side of things in, in medicine so yeah so I haven't you know I haven't you know treated COVID patients and then yeah so and then the other role I didn't mention and that pathologists have is that we, we pathologists are the doctors who perform autopsies so I've been involved in a, a few COVID autopsies yes yeah, so my main exposure is ha yeah participating in COVID autopsies and um uh i was also involved in um the microbiology lab and the actual like laboratory testing of covid cool so basically guys you got the two least involved residents you could find <laughs> not well. least involved not not going forward as of as of the time of this recording isn't arizona about to become a uh 
spot. We've actually closed down one of our rehab units because we needed the bed space. Oh yeah, here we go. Um, that being said, I have been talking to other residents in other programs who have been involved. So, mm. yay! We just got the double thumbs up. That sarca- the, with a sarcastic double thumbs up. Here we go. So when do you when do you predict you'll be called into service, Sharon? Hopefully never. Oh, well, that I is the, that, that is the hope and the dream. Are... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's there's going to actually happen. a very funny YouTube video of what happens when a rehab specialist is called into duty. And it's a month or two ago, it spread across the entire rehab community. Um, and everyone thought it was the most hilarious video ever. What's the title of the video? Uh, because none of us know how to handle patience. <laughs> Um, but we are planning on more post-COVID patients imminently, and we've, we, the residents, have been told to start expecting being involved in their care. And that, that, that was the prep? That was the prep they gave you? Was a funny YouTube link? (laughs) (laughs) Way to take it seriously, guys. That's good. That's terrifying. That kind of sounds like the, the, I mean, that, that sounds like the federal response, really. All right, so starting with the virus itself, what is kind of the prevailing theory of where or you know where this came from in China, but um, well, we all like how did it come to be? We all know that. I don't want to spoil a surprise. What do you guys think? <laughs> Both of you talk at the same exact time. I thought we established that. <laughs> That's actually yeah, I mean, like the one yes. section I haven't read up on. <laughs> all right, all right. I mean, Sharon defers to Avi. <laughs> it's not a coin toss. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, the, I think the prevailing theory is it's from you know from bats, and there might have been some sort of other animals, such like pangolins. Yeah, it's an animal known as a pangolin. Yeah, you gotta um, you gotta be careful pronouncing that one. It it really it really sounds sound, it like really penguin. sounds like penguin. Yeah, sounds like penguin. Yeah. Not not penguin is isn't that some court, sort of a cat thing? It's not a cat. What a, pe- a pangolin? Uh, it's more it like an looks, armadillo. Looks like, yeah, I think it looks more like an armadillo. Okay, I thought they already so discounted armadillo that thing. one. Though. It looks like a sand slash. I'm pretty sure they discounted that one. I think that's the prevailing theory. It's like mm-hmm. it came from uh, either that or Gwyneth that Paltrow. Yep. <laughs> 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 But hey, it's not it's not that far off. Yep, she's her, a pangolin. Her and her uh, orgasm candles. Oh yeah, that's right. I love <laughs> I, I love her I love her company. Her company's Goop. You guys know Goop. Yeah. That could be a whole other episode. We're not gonna step We're not gonna step in the Goop on that one. But uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not supernatural. If if rampant urbanism causes pig farmers to move further and further into the jungle. And you know bats need to shit, and they happen to crap all over a, a pig. And if they're not sending the pig through the car wash, so uh, you know doesn't seem like it's supernatural. And also, isn't this SARS Cove two? This is just SARS two point Right. So like the the first SARS SARS just SARS Cove one, I guess is uh you know that was a another coronavirus. You know, pandemic that happened. I think around the year two thousand. Two thousand 
2003, whatever. Yeah, sure. 2003, yeah, I thought. Yeah, like, I but guess then didn't, didn't that just disappear? Um, like, went to Earth? I don't think it just disappeared. It seemed like, uh, I don't know. It didn't seem like, uh, I don't know how they, they handled it. It's a big it. of a deal. Yeah, well, it's, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. I don't know. Well, I mean, it was, but it didn't spread like this one did. I think that the thing about SARS-CoV-1 is that it had, you know, it was deadlier than this, than SARS-CoV-2, this mm. current pandemic. Okay. And if, if, if a virus... It didn't have virus, asymptomatic uh, carriers. Yeah, I think less so. And then, you know, if you have a virus that's, you know, deadlier, then I think naturally it's got to, right, like spread less than disease that has, like, asymptomatic carriers. Yeah, it just mm-hmm. burns through its right. population. If you've mm-hmm. ever played the uh, phone game Pandemic, you know that you have to keep your virus mm-hmm. not deadly so that you can infect everyone. Well, we've all played the phone game Pandemic, for <laughs> sure. Definitely all of our listeners as well. Mm. Uh, all our listeners being Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> be funny if we do become uh at least have a few hundred or so listeners they're gonna wonder who this magical person named daniel is that we keep referencing (laughs) big dreams (laughs) a few hundred moving up in the world yeah we'll see that'd be nice if we got at least a few um could bring danny in for an episode it's not gonna kill us (laughs) (laughs) listenership toilet Uh, he, he mentioned being interested in it, be part of our uh, our series that we're making about um, schooling and uh, professional life. Be a good person. Since he went down the scientific track, you went down more of the, you know, the blue-collar welding track, and I went through the business track. Yeah, you got that right. My episode vets that one out. And back on track. Yeah, we hit the origin um, of it. Mm-hmm. Kind of. So, definitely didn't come out of a lab. That's for fucking sure, right? <laughs> Probably not. I, I wouldn't think so. I mean, what are the odds? I believe there. Yeah, I believe there's papers that suggest that. Yeah, it's def, you know it's very highly suggestive that you know it's, it's naturally occurring. Right. I was reading some of those. Didn't. Oh, which one was one? I think it was like from Nature magazine or something. The the th- the th- main takeaway that I got from it because I can't I can barely decipher <laughs> anything out of that, but it was it was too it's uh what is it it's not perfect is it was their rationale for it not being man made did you guys read into like why it didn't come out of the lab or uh, I haven't no I I haven't read like any like you know like the primary literature talking about why they believe it's natural. I'm not going to toot my own horn here and say I went super deep into that one, but from the abstract, <laughs> which is about as far as I could get into that before my brain melted out of my ear, uh, yeah, it, their, their rationale is that the, the virus is not perfect enough and that a man-made one would be, for some reason, be perfect. I don't know. It doesn't seem likely that it would come out of a lab, get out of containment, and then be somehow able to be transferred from one person immediately to that meat market or that live wet market one of 
the residents I work with, his wife teaches English to Chinese school children mm. via the internet. And he tells me that she's been told by her students that they are being taught that it came from America. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. Okay. Even though we established that its nickname is Kung Flu. Well, we also call it the Spanish flu, even though it definitely didn't come from Spain. We're pretty sure it right. came from America. We're not we're not calling COVID-19 the Spanish flu. We're calling the Spanish flu the Spanish flu from 1918. You phrased that yeah. kind of <laughs> I believe it was 1919. And it came out of Kansas. Well, Trump it's says a Kansas it's 1917. flu. We should start calling it the Jayhawker. <laughs> probably not, that's probably not going to catch on should yeah it's not it's now officially the jayhawker flu of 1919 uh, hope right. something sticks <laughs> careful passing through lawrence kansas mm-hmm. so kind of when uh things started to kind of get big as far as um covid19 uh is concerned like it was around the spring march uh people were really starting to pay attention to it more and then uh, late March, April is when a lot of people started uh, taking action. Uh, the federal government took some action, and there were some guidelines put up uh, that uh, places of work should go remote if they're, if it's possible, and to start quarantining yourself uh, as much as possible. And the, uh, the curve of cases went down a bit, uh, but now it's pretty much back to where it was at its peak if not maybe a little bit more so what are you guys what are you guys opinion on why that's happening why it was starting to go down and now it's risen back up specifically um especially in arizona florida texas oklahoma it's kind of big too arizona did i say arizona no anyway let's assume you did arizona the most <laughs> Don't worry, I'll, I'll edit it so. It's oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's it's peaking in you know different places now. I mean, before like you know, it was primarily peaking in the northeast area. Uh, Spring break for life. Yeah, you know, it's essentially the you know it's essentially the opposite now, where it's peaking right, like more in the south in Texas rather than. In the Northeast, I mean, yeah, New York things have been fairly cl- like things are like just starting to open back up in New York for the past, you know, the past couple weeks. Um, you know, businesses are just reopening, so um, I mean, I, I feel like that's probably a major reason why like places outside of the Northeast have been more open than than here. So, so you think because businesses were kept open or opened earlier that's the reason for the curve going back up nationally absolutely Uh, another thing i just saw yesterday an account of the states that have the mandatory mask laws and the policies suggesting and emphasizing wearing masks those states have been doing a lot better versus someplace like florida where they're just 
abjectly refusing to wear masks or Arizona where they're just refusing to wear masks. And there is a correlation between these states that are not wearing masks and the spike. Yeah, and the politics of it aren't helping at all. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and um, it seems like the, yeah, the politics of it, the Democrats are more likely to wear the mask and people who lean conservative or Republican, some of them, not all of them, I think, uh, especially more of the further right people uh, take it as some kind of um, political stance and feel like their rights are being infringed. I do. For I'm, those masks. I, I'm pro-life. I, I wear my mask everywhere. <laughs> That's what that means now, right? Taking it back. Yeah. <laughs> so, have you seen the stupid sides of my body, my life? Or my, my body, my, my rules? Cho- my choice, yeah. As, as far as those masks go. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, or, I've seen it too. I I wonder if they're trying to be... Um, was it like a billboard? Ironic with that. <laughs> it, it's like, you know, protest signs. Oh, oh, gotcha. And I'm convinced this is the same group of people who are pro-life, finger quotes. Right. Maybe they're... they found... Maybe they're using like the the pro-choice poster boards from the uh, abortion rallies and uh, the pro-life rallies or pro-choice rallies, and um, they just kept them around and say, "Oh wow, we can finally use these." <laughs> well, they're all actors that come from the same company, so you know. Hey, can I borrow your sign real quick? Yeah. All right. <laughs> what are you going to? I don't know. This is something I was kind of wondering about. So. The coronavirus is, you know, a virus, so, and how viruses work is that they, uh, they get into your body, they latch themselves onto cells uh, in your body, and uh, typically, depending on what kind of virus it is, it'll attach to different cells, uh, inject its DNA into it, and then kind of basically hijack the cell into making more versions of the virus uh, until the cell just explodes, letting out more of those viruses, and then the you know the process goes on until your immune system, if your immune system can, uh, fight them off with antibodies and white blood cells. So, how is it? Yeah, I'm going to correct you on a few things. It's um, coronavirus is an RNA virus. So it's not just just a correction there for accuracy. All right. And then actually I can launch into an explanation of how it infects, how it's screwing people over, how it's killing people. Yeah, go ahead. Please do. So specifically it's attacking cells that show high amounts of angiotensin receptors. Angiotensin is part of the body's system for maintaining blood pressure. We're not quite sure why these receptors are all over the respiratory tract in humans. They just are. Hmm. So it's infecting these cells that have that. And in most cases, it stays in the upper respiratory system, the nose, the throat, 
that area. It's the really serious cases, the patients who are winding up in the hospital, that it's getting down into the lungs. Mm. As you mentioned, it's replicate, replicate, replicate until the cells burst open and die. Mm -hmm. Specifically, the cells that it seems to be affecting the most are called type 2 pneumocytes. Those are the cells in the lungs that help produce what's called surfactant. It's a very important thing in how lungs work. These aren't the cells that help with the gas exchange. Okay. The problem is they're the cells that become the cells that help gas exchange. All right. So these cells break open and burst open and spread the virus all over the rest of the cell. So you get a lot of scar tissue in the cell. This damages the cells that help with the gas exchange. And now because you've destroyed the type 2 pneumocytes, you can't make more of the cells that help the gas exchange. So that's why we've been seeing a lot of respiratory problems. Also, when you have an infection, any type of infection in the body, you get an inflammatory response. Inflammation gets a bad rep because people think, oh, inflammation, it's bad. It, it hurts. It causes swelling. It causes pain and just not nice things. But inflammation is the body's system for fighting problems. You get inflammation in an injured muscle because you're trying to get blood flow into that muscle to help heal things. You get inflammation when you're sick because the body is trying to flood the system with these good cells and antibodies and all this other stuff mm. to help fight the infection. Yeah. Somehow, this virus is delaying the inflammatory response, hmm. which means that it has time to spread throughout the body. And then when the body finally gets the inflammatory response going, it goes too much, too hard, too fast. Mm. Okay. This causes damaging inflammation which causes infiltrates in the lungs, fluid in the lungs. That's why if you do a Google search for ground glass um, lungs, you, you see fluid all over the lungs. You see that the lungs no longer have air space mm. because they've just been flooded with the body um, trying to fight the infection but overdoing it. It's called a cytokine storm. Right, right, right. So between the infection completely obliterating the cells and then the body incorrectly trying to fight it, mm. all of a sudden you can't breathe anymore. So is the cytokine storm worse than the virus? Like the reaction is overdoing it. Or do we not know that yet, Avi? Uh, yeah, I mean, you could probably yeah, make that argument. It's like the, the cytokine storm is causing this kind of, like, septic shock in the patients. 50-50 split. Uh, eh. No. Can't put a ratio on it, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> probably, know, probably, ratio, probably irrelevant but, um, at this point. And then yeah. part, part of the, the um, pathophysiology as well is, like, um, so, like, some of the autopsy findings is... Uh, you know, one of the main findings is something called 
uh, diffuse alveolar damage, which is basically you have like lots of fib fibrosis of the lung tissue as well, making them less compliant. Uh, I guess, yeah, Sharon was saying, um, like, place able to exchange oxygen and making the lungs less compliant as well. What is compliant? Um, Flexible? Yeah, basically, like, flexibility. Okay. So that's what's um, causing the uh, lungs to harden? Hmm. Yeah, and um, it's not like a... It, and the, this diffuse alveolar damage, um, the clinical... Clinically, we call it acute respiratory di uh, distress syndrome. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not like a completely specific thing to COVID. Um, you can get you know from other severe, you know, pneumonia. Say like you can also get this from like bacterial pneumonias as well. Hmm. Um, and because of this kind of change to lungs and ba basically they're less spongy and springy, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, right. in layman's term. So. And uh, earlier in the uh, in the pandemic, there was a big call to increase the amount of ventilators. But the it seems like the ventilators uh, kind of worked to the point, but they also have been doing damage to people's lungs when they have such an advanced form of COVID nineteen, and that's why it's basically you're expanding out the the lungs, but they're not you know stretchy and uh, the way lungs should be, and thus you're damaging them because they're they're not the way the their consistency is so that they're they can't expand the way the ventilators are making them expand. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, right. it's and, called barotrauma. Mm -hmm. I actually just finished texting one of my friends. He is an internal medicine resident in Ohio. He says that from their hospital, they are now trying to avoid putting any pa patient on ventilators. Um, if the patient is awake and feels comfortable and not short of breath, they are leaving them alone. So this means that patients can be in the low 80s for their oxygen saturation. Normal is like 99 to 100. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Like, uh, we typically, yeah. Typical day we, we feels like sixty for me. I don't, I don't fucking know. Yeah, we typically intubate someone if they drop below like ninety. Hmm. Okay. We're letting them sit at like eighty-two percent because they don't mind. They don't seem to care about it. Uh, I've heard it described as a happy hypoxia. They're okay with being at 82%. You or I at 82% would be gasping for air. Well, hmm. Is it because of the lack of elasticity in the lungs that is allowing them to not feel relatively normal, even though the saturation's at 80-something no percent? Hmm. Um, but so my point is they're trying to avoid putting people on ventilators because the ventilators are doing so much damage to the lungs. Mm -hmm. Well, I think don't ventilators, even in uh, a regular circumstance, they, uh, over the long term, if you're on a ventilator for a long period of time, even if you didn't have COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 or whatever the hell you want to call it, uh, they would already do damage. They can. It's possible, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to harp on the ventilators and them killing everybody. Mm -hmm. 
uh, seeing, <laughs> seeing as how my company actually designed and built a ventilator in, inside of a month. It was like an engineering marvel, and my boss was like amazed by it. Oh, wow. Yeah, they actually did. They took a, a design from MIT uh, that was like a free design or something like that. We tweaked it. We threw some software on it. Uh, I would say the name of my company, but I don't know if we've sold it yet. <laughs> but I know it's somewhere in Wisconsin. One of the things I have heard of people doing, and apparently they do this in developing countries that mm -hmm. don't have ventilators all the time, they throw a nasal cannula on. That's the little tube that goes under the nose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they give that and crank up the oxygen, but then they also put a mask over that mm. um, and crank up the oxygen on that. So you're getting tons and tons and tons of oxygen it's delivered straight into your high. face. Yeah, without shoving a tube down your throat. Yep. Yeah, it sounds like that gets you pretty high. Yeah, it does. My stepdad was on an oxygen tank all the time. There was nothing wrong with that motherfucker. He was just sitting there getting high off oxygen. <laughs> yeah, fucked up. Sorry, well, derailed. Probably one of the healthier things to be, be high off of. <laughs> I guess. Oh my god. It's just sitting there. Yup. I'll take, <laughs> I'll take a page from his book. I guess, yeah. Let's deplete the uh, the oxygen supply. Well, speaking of cures, are we on to the cure? Can we find the cure yet? Can we talk about dexamethasone, or yeah. do you want to talk about all the other ones that uh, didn't work? Actually, we can talk about dexamethasone because it's super available. Uh, Since it's the a 60s, yeah. Drug. I use it all the time in my practice i freaked out i bought some uh, i bought some stock and something that i thought was gonna fucking go through the roof i wanted to make some money off this shit the interesting thing is that didn't so dexamethasone is a steroid and they've tried giving steroids to patients already mm -hmm. like methylprednisone and stuff like that and found that it really doesn't work oh gotcha the dexamethasone seems to be decreasing time on the vent that's so what it it's was not preventing gotcha. it it's not curing it, it just for the more cur it's critical patients helping yeah gotcha well that's still something is there any yeah it's good but is there any talk about more effective treatments that have been coming out i haven't seen anything have you Abby? Um, there is like some talk about i think uh remdesivir and i think there's been some studying to that, but I don't think it's been shown to be uh, effective yet. Well, that one lowered it. What did Fauci call that one? He said it lowered it from, like, the long, the length, the duration of infection from 15 to 11 days or something along those lines. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Yeah, and that's sort of consistent with antiviral medications. It's like Tamiflu. We're trying to find a Tamiflu for this. Right. It's not going to prevent it. It's not going to mm -hmm. cure it. It's just going to decrease the amount of time. Right, well, yeah. If you decrease the amount of time, then when that uh, mean that typically you would have uh, you know, less symptoms. Well, theoretically, but people still die of the flu all the time. Right. And um, what about a vaccine? I know... There's a few that are about to go into phase two of uh, clinical trials. Uh, how 
Um, Novavax is winning in terms of its stock price, so that might be the one you want to buy. Someone <laughs> <laughs> um, Bill Gates threw his money behind. Moderna was the other one. Yeah, Moderna is a big one. Right. Like, uh, how optimistic are you about that, or do you have any kind of opinion on it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not involved in the research. I, I know there's, like, different types of vaccines that are being all developed at the same time, and I think, I believe, like, it might be, like, pr- like just prophylactically, like, producing these vaccines just in case, <laughs> just in case they work. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to, I, don't know, I think it's hard to say, like, what the, the actual timeline is going to be. I, I heard that maybe the, uh, their the timelines are maybe going can push too fast that uh, we're not allowing enough time for testing that uh, you know for you know say dangerous side effects or you know long-term side effects uh, is that like a worry of either of you what are you talking about every time I do stuff as fast as humanly possible I do it perfectly every time with no mistakes It's definitely a concern. I know that Fauci is saying early 2021 we'll have something. But this is why the anti-vaxxer stuff is a bunch of bull. Because they're always, oh, the dangerous side effects. But we test so much. And we're just skipping all of that. Right, yeah. It's because it's a government-administered thing to uh, make your kids gay or something. I don't, I don't read. Up, I don't read up on them. The second somebody tells me that they're no, anti-vax, no, the I just sort of gloss over. Do that. I mean, I mean, hopefully, yeah. You know, hopefully, one of these vaccines actually works. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's any guarantee that any of them uh, will work. Yeah, yeah, that any of them will work. Even then, it would be for one particular strain, right? Or a, or a handful of strains, or something like that. Uh, yeah. I guess it depends. You know, you can vaccinate for like multiple strains at the same time i mean that's, that's what we we do for influenza mm-hmm. um, well how well what's the uh, yeah the multiple time. strains how many what like three out of a hundred thirty out of a hundred what do you mean multiple strains I think yeah the... well, well it's like they make a pre- they make a prediction of like which strains are going to be become prevalent and then they they focus on those, it, yeah, it's not it's not every strain. Now, does uh, COVID nineteen mutate as quickly as say the flu virus? I don't think so. I know the flu has some special thing that's why it mutates so fast. I don't remember. It's well, been a few years since that chapter in medical school. Yeah, I, I mean, um, so so coronavirus. I mean, it's a single sh- strain. Its genome is a single-stranded RNA virus, and influenza has, um, you know, it's you know, it's multiple strands of its genome, and because influenza has like multiple different strands of its genome, it can like, if you have so, some sort of host, an animal or human, that's co-infected with two different influenza viruses. You know, in in the same cell, you can actually have like actual like swapping of like some of these different strands, uh, 
into like, like new the, strands. You know, you know, kind of like swapping cards or something. Yeah. You know, like they swap like different genomic strands, and so and then you wind up making a whole new virus. That's that's what the H and Ns come from, in influenza. Like the different, you know, like the switch like an H one for an H two and you know N one for N three whatever. Mm. You can, okay. So it's kind of, so so basically, like uh, a cell can be affected by. Uh, more than one influenza strain, and basically they mix together to create a, a new strain, and then explode out of the cell, and now you have a third strain. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You have a new new strain and, that comes out of that. Yeah. And then you could do that, and then that could happen multiple times. Then a new strain could come and infect another cell with a, another strain of the of influenza and just keep doing that and make it, it sounds like it can make shoot like millions of new strains in a single person theoretically um and we're back similar to, I, don't to, I don't know how often like the shuffling of the different strains occurs but um, occurs yeah i mean it, um yeah i mean you could probably yeah, happened multiple times in the same host. Hmm. But that's not not the case for COVID. Yeah, COVID is like is a single stranded genome, so there's nothing to shuffle. Hmm. Because it's it's one single mm-hmm. strand. Window of opportunity. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it has the ability to mutate. Um, yeah, you know, just naturally, uh, you know, the, the the enzyme that replicates the genetic material might not have what we call what we call like hundred percent fidelity. So like like human like DNA polymers is you know have high high fidelity, and, and so they copy the DNA, you know, like very accurately. But say like you know in the virus, the polymerases might. Um, the protein that copies the genetic material might make more errors, you know. Okay. You know, and those errors lead to, you know, mutations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I don't know exactly. Like, know. yeah, so like, yeah. The we all saw X Men. To... <laughs> Say that one more time. Sorry, what? We, I said we all saw X Men. We get it. <laughs> Are you referring to the like the the intro to that movie? <laughs> <laughs> or it's like 3D. I mean, the intro to all all, all the movies. Oh, they're all the like same. they say the same intro every time. Oh, really? I'm not well, really watching. Well, Bart's just really that. good at saying intros. I, I think there. I think there was a. They did it as an outro to the third one, where they said the exact same thing as the first movie. Oh, fantastic! They say they say it a lot in multiple movies. Patrick Stewart is just really good at giving intros to things. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Does great voiceover work. That's really the moral of this entire podcast. Patrick Stewart, sexiest voice on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan Freeman. Sure. It's a tough James one. Earl Jones. Not bad. Anybody else? Avi, you want to get up on the, <laughs> in, in on this? Snoop Dogg. <laughs> No nah, that's not up for consideration. <laughs> now let's say 
a vaccine is never developed, what are we kind of looking at long term? Uh, is this basically just another thing we're going to have to deal with? Like basically having the flu without a flu shot? I've yeah, seen well, it'd be worse than the flu studies. if we don't have a vaccine. But um, I've seen yeah, preliminary I, studies coming out of like Italy and China. Nothing's been confirmed yet, but in Italy, they think they're getting less deadly strains. Um, they're saying that they're getting a lot more infections without getting more deaths. Sounds like a wind Fingers to me. Fingers crossed it's mutating that way. Yeah, but isn't there, like, you don't have, like, any... That's just anecdotal, like, right. there's no, like, actual research behind it yet. Hmm. That's why I'm saying fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. So. And then, yeah, and then, I guess, hopefully, like, in that scenario, you could... I mean, this, this would also take a lot of time. Like, you can try to come up with, you know, specific viral medications... You know, for um, the COVID nineteen virus, but um, right. I mean, that would that would also take probably years. Or... Mm-hmm. Unless we, unless we do happen to find some other viral medication that already exists, that um, you know, shows that has some benefit. Yeah, remember, coronaviruses aren't new. Uh, one of the things that people keep saying, oh, it's just the common cold. The common cold is a coronavirus. We've been studying coronaviruses since like the 80s when we discovered them. We still don't have a vaccine for the common cold. Is there a reason why we should be hope- hopeful that we can find a vaccine for the coronavirus? Like what? what's the difference between the two of them that would make the coronavirus the COVID-19 other than the single strand thing well I, like come close it's, I don't think it's necessarily they're huh. not all coronaviruses I mean I think like some of the like sometimes coronaviruses sometimes like like rhinovirus and yeah like different viruses hmm. that's uh, all the cold just, the cold just kind of just kind um, of a catch-all for a low-level viral infection mm-hmm. yeah hmm. also the common cold viruses tend to mutate very quickly and we established covid does not mutate particularly quickly it doesn't seem to be yeah that's good i mean this thing is huge i looked it up it's thirty-one thousand kilo base kilo base pairs that is the largest coronavirus recorded apparently yeah i was just thinking the longer it is the more accurate it has to be. Otherwise, everything falls apart. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, don't need that. I might be completely wrong about that. Yeah. Is there a way to make it fall apart? Yeah, soap. Soap. Okay, you heard it here first. <laughs> Use soap <laughs> to combat the coronavirus. Wash your hands. Uh, I think you should eat it, too. I, I think I heard a... F- <laughs> Uh, a statement from the federal government saying that um, you should put soap and other disinfectants straight into your bloodstream. I yes. like to open up and peel my skin and let the sunlight in every day. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, get yourself a nice um, flaying knife. Yep, why not? Flay yourself. Get a sharp stone and, and get what you got. Get, get, what you, get whatever you can. 
You just and then, gotta love uh, the sunlight. Get some crazy glue to put it back on after you get enough sun. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? A disclaimer here: Don't do any of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have do to, if you have to explain me. your sarcasm, it's not good sarcasm. And you should just not bother. Yeah, but and we're just, trying to be more responsible than the president. We're just covering our ass here. Of course, yes. Do naturally. not drink bleach. Do not inject bleach. That was really funny when Lysol had to. Uh, well, it was really sanitizer. sad. Lysol had to put out a disclaimer two seconds later. Yeah. Like, please don't drink this. Do, do not rub bleach into your eyes. Mm-hmm. Do not rub bleach into your dog's eyes. Oh, who does that? I don't know. Some sicko. But they're not. But hopefully not none of any of our listeners now. Uh, do I have permission to say if you rub bleach into your dog's eyes, you can stop following these guys right now? Mm, we're not big oh, enough. No, to we need. We need. Turn we away. need every follower we can. <laughs> we get. need everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we're not big enough to uh, turn yeah, like, listeners away. It's okay. I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised. Most of our listeners aren't people anyway, so. <laughs> Probably just Russian robots. Did we so, hit? Did we hit everything in uh, your paper, Sharon? Oh, I mean, I have two pages of how to rehab people. Like, so that once they get out of the hospital, you're saying? Yeah. So, Bert introduced me as a physiatrist. Most people don't know what physiatry is. Physiatry is the medicine of functionality. So one of the th- main things that physiatrists do is we run the rehab units, the rehabilitation hospitals. So after a patient quote-unquote recovers, they come to us. So what Um, what does that involve? Lots of chest punching? Yes, we punch people in the chest. Um, No, so there, there isn't a ton of research specifically designated towards coronavirus yet. Um, And then, again, I have not treated patients. We have had coronavirus patients at our rehab hospital. I just haven't been involved. Mm, Okay. But we can extrapolate things based on other things. So one of the things we can talk about is pulmonary rehabilitation um, and just sort of getting those lungs working again. One of the problems is that coronavirus seems to permanently damage lungs. Uh, So we have to figure out ways to fix this. Uh, One of the things that we can do is getting the respiratory muscles better, getting the diaphragm working, getting the chest wall being able to function, increasing the oxygen or the air capacity in the lungs. But there are a lot of other concerns when a patient is in the ICU. And that's actually everything that I was focusing on right before we uh, started this uh, chat. I was reviewing all the effects of physical inactivity. If you are bedridden for a long period of time, there is a lot of stuff that can happen to your body that just makes recovering really difficult. So even if your lungs aren't affected and aren't permanently damaged, 
from being on a ventilator. Just the act of being on a ventilator, right. stuck in bed right. for a week, mm -hmm. yeah. can drastically impair your daily function. We're looking at muscular atrophy. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you don't have the strength to do anything. Um, a nice little statistic for you. You lose 05 to 0.6% of your muscles per day of being inactive. And I've heard of people you being on these things one for being bedridden for over a month. Yeah. <sighs> you lose 1% of your muscle strength per day. Your oxygen consumption drops uh, 1% per day. Hmm. Your heart stops being able to beat as effectively. Your blood gets thicker the longer you are inactive and actually we're seeing a lot of problems with that in coronavirus that people are getting a lot of clotting problems you've got 20 year olds having strokes and heart attacks because of clots huh. there, you there, go. there were some uh research into why this might be happening i haven't seen any research definitively saying it's attacking the blood vessels or it's attacking the clotting factors and most resources that I've been looking at kind of just agree. It's because people are stuck in bed for a month and their blood is getting thicker because mm. that's what happens when you're inactive. Well, and um, you're in a... uh, I think um, one, one of the theories is that, uh, so, the, so right, so the, the receptor that uh, COVID-19 binds to, the, the virus of COVID-19 binds to, uh, right, so it's eight, eight, this protein called ACE2. Um, so right, as we were saying before, it's, it's present in lungs, but it's also present on um, endothelial cells, which is the cells that line um, your blood vessels. And so, if, so therefore there's this potential that the virus can infect the, these endothelial cells in your blood vessels causing inflammation in your blood vessels mm -hmm. and that causes a um, a prothrombotic state yeah uh, that leads to these clots and that's another thing we've been seeing right on autopsies is like these pulmonary uh, embolisms mm -hmm. and what's the average uh, age of the people that you're seeing those in I mean, I, I mean, all everything. Everybody was always talking about uh, okay, pre-existing conditions and older people who were more than likely going to have some sort of a pre-existing condition. Is that what you're seeing, Avi? How many people are coming through? I mean, your, your... I, I've I've only you know I've only performed like a few of these COVID autopsies, but um, I think yeah, Sharon was saying like like you're we're seeing like younger than expected patients with that. They are developing these lung clots and clots. Mm -hmm. you, know, you call them DVTs in the legs. Um, so you know it's it's happening in younger patients as well. Right. There's no reason a 20 year old should be having a stroke. Right. No. And yet they are. Right. 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 But that's really the percentage that everybody's always trying to get at is what is the likelihood I will get this as a 20 to 25 to 50 year old or a 25 to 35 year old let's say 
because they're the ones not caring. They're the ones that are being indifferent towards this. What I've been telling my patients is assume you are going to get it. Hmm. Assume that you already have it. Mm -hmm. Wear your mask. Prevent the people on the street you meet from getting it from you. And assume that everybody that you meet on the street also has it. I would would think it would be pretty impossible to get a a real like percentage of how likely you are as far as age group or whatever true since there's so many asymptomatic cases you know if they're asymptomatic they're not going to come to the hospital they're not going to get tested a lot of you know most of them i got tested i got tested three times really yeah i i think the the average person would just kind of chalk it up to maybe having the touch of a cold and, you know, it goes away and they forget about it. Nah, I'm kind of a dick. I, I was kind of hoping I would catch it and be asymptomatic because then I got to work from home. That was like a big... Work from home anyway. No, no, I don't. I had to go back. June 1st. Oh, had to go back. I've been I back since June 1. Wear uh, a mask. What's up? Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Oh, wear a mask. Wash my hands. Yep, 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 yep. Stay as far away from other people as possible. It's not possible. <laughs> I'll try. But even everybody at my work. Everybody's pretending like nobody at my work wears a mask. Nobody. Just have a six-foot poking stick. We do have a six-foot poking stick. Nobody's using oh, it. There you go. Well, you could be the designated poker. I'm not allowed to do that anymore. We had that HR meeting. <laughs> A lot of conflicting things going on here during this crisis. Mm. So what are some uh, exercises, Sharon, that uh, people can do? Clearly punching in the chest is not called for. Sorry. There is um, something called tapotement. What? Which is basically hitting people in the chest. Oh, what the? It's um, Nailed it. <laughs> When you watch movies or TV shows where someone's getting a massage and they're getting repeatedly chopped oh, the at karate you know, chop. someone hitting them multiple like, times. Like Ip Man style. Nice. All right, cool. That is a valid treatment. Yes. Not in the face. You heard it here. First and only. Karate chop your patients. The idea is that you're breaking up the mucus that could be forming in someone's lungs, those secretions, so that they can cough it up better. <laughs> At our rehab facility, we have, they're officially called speech and language pathologists, nicknamed speech therapy. Okay. But they do a lot more than that. They help people with cognitive abilities and being able to eat if they have some swallowing swallowing difficulties. But something else that they help patients with is getting a meaningful cough. Because, you know, coughing from your face isn't going to help. You need to figure out how to get your lungs to cough up the garbage. Okay, you got to punch lower then. Got it. <laughs> well, how do you get that meaningful cough? Is that a technical term? I really don't know. I don't sit in on their lessons. Oh, gotcha. All right. We can edit that part out. Um, other <laughs> things that are discussed are different ways of breathing. and Now we're talking. So I have two rehab textbooks, the two standard textbooks. 
Bradham's book of physical medicine and rehabilitation and Lisa's textbook of physical medicine and rehabilitation. And so there's this type of breathing called diaphragmatic breathing. Uh, people who play wind instruments might be familiar with this. It's like breathing from your belly. Okay. And theoretically, that increases your lung space. Now, one of the textbooks, and I don't remember if it's Bradham or Delisa, says, don't do this, this is stupid. And then the other one says, absolutely do this, it's a great idea. Okay. So I think it comes down to the therapist and the doctor, what type of breathing is better. And which book they read? I don't get it. Why are they... And which book they so read. So are the books so brand new that the, the research is still out? Or they don't have the evidence to prove one way or the other? I think it depends on which research articles you've read. Uh, okay. All right, so it's say somebody, say somebody wants to just read WebMD and uh, start doing some breathing exercises to get the mucus out. Uh, how, would, how, I mean, how, do I, how do I breathe? Teach me how to breathe. Need... <laughs> if you are bad enough that you need to work on breathing, you probably are at the hospital already. All right, fair enough. Um, other things that I know they've been doing is called prone positioning. Uh, so this is basically laying on your belly. This shifts where the fluid is in the lungs. It makes it easier to breathe, strangely. And so it helps people breathe easier to flip them onto their belly. Gotcha. Also, if they're not on their belly, sit them up. Humans don't breathe well laying on our backs. Hmm. So if you are having difficulty breathing, go to the hospital, but also shove a couple of pillows underneath your head so that you're more upright. Nice. Okay. Pillows. Steroids from the 1960s. Sounds like we already got this thing beat. I don't think we need a vaccine. Yep. We're done. Vitamin C. Yep. Good job, everyone. Yeah, I know. This just in, Arizona with 10 million more cases. So uh, we touched on this a little bit, but what about the lingering effects after giving, getting COVID-19 and, you know, and then getting over it? Anything, oh, you're screwed. So anything besides, I mean, lung damage to varying degrees, depending on how bad you got it, I suppose. But uh, has there been anything else besides that? We really don't know. I mean, how is the I mean, it's, how long? What is the longest? Uh, the person in the longest amount of recovery, like the I don't know, I, I don't know the, the first the first seven to eight months. Yeah, exactly. So we we that's too we soon. We do right? not have enough information. Yeah, it seems like it's too uh, soon. When all this started, my sister was complaining quite a lot about people kept using the term novel virus what novel means is that it's new we've never seen this virus before we have no idea how it affects people long term mm -hmm. we know that it screws your lungs over now is that everyone including asymptomatic patients i don't think so so th no, this is some th so th th it'd have to get to a fairly kind of advanced stage like you like, if, if it's not bad enough, they don't really have to go to the hospital for 
so far there hasn't been any kind of long-term uh, adverse effect to your lungs. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know if we, yeah, I don't know if that theta is available yet. Yeah, Same, it seems like the longest term person might be. I mean, they've been. They, I've been hearing that it's been circulating maybe since November. So what, eight months might be the longest recovery yeah. time. I mean, you're you're just asking for other than your lungs. We have talked about strokes and heart attacks, and um, that, Avi mentioned DVTs. Is that after your recovery or during the? Well, it could be maybe. during. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's more during. I mean, as far as that we know so far. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, there's like, the virus has also been detected, um, like in, you know, like stool samples as well. So that might be evidence that it's also like, you know, it spreads to the GI system. Gastrointestinal mm-hmm. mm-hmm. system. Yeah, yes. yeah gastrointestinal system. The thing is, like, if you, if you're detecting it, does it necessarily mean, you know, it's, it's live virus you're t- detecting? Um, it, it could just be like, uh, yeah, you're detecting like, uh, like viral Dead virus floating floating around. Like, yeah, like viral kind of debris, because the the test that we usually use is uh, it's something called PCR. Where you're you're detecting like it's like fragments of the of the you know genomic material of the virus. And how accurate is that? Um, I think it's. I mean, there there have been reports that you know that there, there, in some instances like yeah, you know, it could be like like thirty percent. False negatives, but it, it, it depends on the, the test as well. That still seems it's, better than the one that Abbott came out with. Their IgG, IgM, whatever the hell it was, seemed like it was 50%. Yeah, I mean, so there's different types of testing. So the the primary te- the test that you use to see if you have it right now uh, or currently is is uh, the PCR test. Oh, excuse me. I was talking um, about antibody testing. Yeah, so, that, so that's different. You're right, and then, right. And then there's also like, um, there's different companies making different versions of the test. So like initially, um, you know, with the PCR test, it was the CDC came out with their own version. And then after a while, they came, they gave out these what do you call them, emergency use authorizations uh-huh. to all these you know private companies and then they started making their own tests and you know they they have their own different sensitivities and specificities as well cuz uh well, these tests are actually sometimes like look for different genes of the virus yeah, each, each test typically looks for like two to three different genes. Hmm. Um, particularly, so the gene for the, the uh, nucleocapsid of the virus, which is like viral proteins that like wrap around the, the genome. Uh, some of the other major genes are the, the envelope protein. The, the envelope is kind of like the outer 
layer of the virus. I don't think our listeners are that dumb. We know what an envelope is. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying, whatever. And then, and then one of the other genes is like, say, like, uh, the spike protein, which is the viral protein that actually like attaches to the cells. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so there's all, there's all these different gene targets that you can look for in these different uh, these different assays that are being made by the companies. Like have like different combinations of genes they're actually uh, trying to uh, detect. Hmm. Well, my phone's about to die, but uh, t- real quick, tell us which ones. The, which <laughs> tell us which one's the good one. <laughs> Who's got the best antibody test? Uh, 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 best antibody? Uh, yeah, that I'm not sure. I haven't looked into antibody testing that much. But I, I, yeah, I, I I couldn't tell you like which brand <laughs> um, is the best one. I gotta get my money back from losing it from the crash. All right. <laughs> I need to know which company to invest in. That's the whole point of this entire episode. <laughs> I learned nothing. So, so wrapping up, um, what should uh, ind- you know, individual people do to kind of stem this virus? And what do you think? Uh, you know, the government should do on the, you know, state, local, and federal level? And do you think we should have or need to have a more uh, kind of a broad federal response to it uh, since that's kind of the only way to standardize the, um, I guess, the response to the virus? What do you think? No. (laughs) Yeah, and answer that in 30 seconds. (laughs) Let's start with what the, what people should do. I mean, on the individual level, I mean, I think just to do what you know, like we, people have been saying all along, like you know, the social distancing. Um, I mean, there's literature that right, so it's saying that like you know, the farther <laughs> you keep from people, the, the less likely you're gonna um, you know contract the virus. Uh, Wearing masks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I am going to uh, throw in: it doesn't have to be an N95. Save those for the healthcare providers who are in the same room as someone Absolutely. who's actively infected. Yep. Uh, all the research agrees: as long as you have a good seal around your face, that is the best thing. Just like my microphone, just, just put some sure underwear on your head. Hair has to go through the mask. Yep. And Sorry, I guess if, um, I mean, and if you are gonna go out and you know associate with people in groups, uh, I mean, theoretically, the the spread is less outdoors and indoors. Um, mm. Some thought is like there's some like wild. Oh, shit, we lost Matt. <laughs> I guess we lost Matt. Um, there's some thought well, that you know my phone died. Some, so I have no idea what Avi is saying right now. Through UV light. I think he was saying something about um, the spread is less obvious. But, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah. So try not to be, gather in big crowds. Got, g- gathering in big crowds indoors is, you know, the, the you know, 
probably the best way to get this virus if you're in an indoor crowded area. Mm-hmm. And wash your hands. Right, um, and wash your hands. Or soap is better than hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer that's you know, at least 60-70% alcohol. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and anything you guys think um, you know on say the state or federal level that could you know be done more like you know what kind of assistance uh, would you want from the government I think the mask laws are a good idea um, more help for small businesses so that they don't have to open up right now hmm. um, if they want to pay my loans for me I'll, I'll sign up for that also I know they, that idea has been thrown around a bit Hmm. Well, and then yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not sure. Besides that, um, yeah, just I right in the beginning of this pandemic, you had the issue of ventilators. I'm not sure what the what the status that is. Like, how many more ventilators we have, and how much more we need if we have second wave. And um, and yeah, I guess it's. A, uh, you know, it would be nice, I think, to have, like, some sort of more production of, you know, this protective equipment, uh, you know, happening in the United States, so we don't have, like, this supply chain problem mm-hmm. you know, of all the hospitals receiving you know, the proper PPE, you know, you don't, you don't have, like, di- the different states, like, competing against each other to... And then the federal government stealing it all. Yeah, um, so it'd be nice to ramp up production of those things. Okay, so last question. Um, so it's the summer now, um, and like I said, the curve kind of nationally gone up. You know, it's gone down in some places, gone up in other places. What do you think is going to happen? You know, if there isn't a change on you know the rate of infection what's going to happen in the fall and the winter because this basically started in the United States in the winter and went into spring. So things got hotter. It, it became less and less. The, the The weather got better as the virus went on and, you know, increased. So now that it's more conducive to disease, the, the weather's about to go back into fall and winter. Uh, and now there's, you know, 100, you know, uh, significantly more cases than when we started. I mean, could this get significantly worse? Due to the weather? Due to the weather. So I don't know if there's enough there was... evidence or, or, hmm? uh, I don't I don't know if there's enough evidence to say that this virus is seasonal. Um, yeah, it's it started like in the um, the winter and we have less cases now, but we have less cases now cuz we the whole country locked it down three months I, I don't know if it necessarily has to do with the weather um, so we need so. an entire year of the virus to <laughs> well yeah, originally I, people were pretty much thinking that when summer hit it would get better and I know that in Arizona we were like we got this covered we get to 100 plus degrees Fahrenheit 
all throughout summer, we're fine. And we're doing terribly right now. Maybe because people think that they would be fine and have kind of let down their guard. I mean, yeah, but I, my point is is that the heat is not killing the virus. Well, killing. Killing in air quotes. Yeah, but, I mean, also, like, I mean, yeah, it's hotter outside, but there's air conditioning, and, you know, human temperature is pretty well, you know, regulated, so the temperature is about the same in the human body as you're going outside, then you go inside, you're indoors, and then you can give the virus to somebody else indoors, which most people are indoors at any one time, especially... Right, that, you know, that's and, my point, though. Season doesn't seem to be affecting us at all. Um, we also thought that in Arizona, because we were not as humid, um, that the respiratory droplets would evaporate and go away, and we wouldn't have that problem, but we're seeing that that's not true either. Hmm. Otherwise, okay. the desert states should be doing much better. Hmm. Okay. Well, thank you both for coming on. Uh, I'm sure Matt would thank you too if he was still on, but uh, he, went, he unfortunately dropped off. I think his battery ran out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys. Um, and, yeah, if you have any closing statements. Wash your hands, wear a mask. You're not going to suffocate from a mask. Uh, yeah, just uh, thanks for having us on. Um, I, I, yeah, I just really hope have another second wave because it was uh it was pretty bad in new york before hopefully uh and um I, yeah I, I know at my, at my hospital we right, took down some of the extra hospital the <laughs> uh, hospital beds um i guess we'd have to like re <laughs> reconstruct all these like extra hospital beds again uh yeah it looks like we can actually get Matt back. Yeah, but your phone's dying now. Yeah, so we got to do this real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, good luck, everyone. Hey, Matt, we're just about to end. Uh, my phone's dying now. So, um... Oh, damn it, I, I wasn't recording that. Yep. Did I miss the cure? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, secrets to life. So, all right. Uh... Th- <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for um, for tuning in. Um, and yeah, we'll see you later. And remember, you can write in at hopesomething6 at gmail.com for any questions, feedback. And uh, until then, uh, we'll see you later. Yep. Bye. Take it easy, meatbags. Stay safe out there. And wear the mask. <laughs> wear the mask. All right. Bye.